Hi guys, welcome and thank you for joining us on this week's NTT20 Monday pod. Ali Maxwell here, George Ellick there, and a special guest coming up as well. I'm starting with Purpose because it is a busy show. It was a very, very entertaining weekend in the EFL. And George, we've got a ton of other things to be excited about today as well. Yes, we absolutely do. We've got an awesome, awesome guest coming our way. A very popular guest last time he was on the podcast. I wasn't on that podcast, so I'm incredibly excited to speak to him. It is Millwall's Jed Wallace, one of the best players in the championship. I think everybody would agree. And we've also got a really fun giveaway. Anybody who's been following the Not The Top 20 Twitter account will see that we are doing some stuff with EA Sports. Mm. And Ali has all the details. Yeah, just really happy to be helping them get what we think are really cool prizes out to you guys, uh, fans of EFL clubs, because in their partnership with the EFL, EA Sports have got match tickets to give away. And what that means this year, of course, is digital match passes. So we put our heads together and tried to work out the, the best way to do a giveaway. And this is what we've come up with. Every single day this week, between Monday and Saturday, we will pick a winner in the evening. Each winner will win free streaming access to your club's remaining Skybet EFL fixtures. Now, that could be through iFollow, or if your club is one of those clubs that does not use iFollow, they can, you can still win um, a pass for all of your remaining games free of charge. All you have to do is retweet our pinned tweet and follow us, which I'm sure you already do, at NTT20Pod on Twitter. That will make you an entrant into this competition with a chance to win all of your club's remaining league games live, free, on iFollow through your club's streaming service. I think that's a really cool prize. There's still, what, 13, 14, 15, 16 games to go for some clubs. As I say, there'll be six winners, one each day, Monday to Saturday. We will DM you on Twitter if you are a winner to get into contact. We'll need your email address and we'll need the club that you support. And then not just that, but because I'm such a fan of, uh, of FIFA 21, I did ask EA Sports if they could chuck in some extra goodies. And there will be six winners outside of the match streaming pass winners who will win FIFA 21 game codes. We'll pick those winners on the weekend. So head to our pinned tweet on Twitter at NTT20Pod. All you have to do is retweet it and follow us on Twitter. You'll be in with a chance of winning free streaming access to your club's remaining league games. Thanks to EA Sports and to the EFL as well for helping us sort that. It's for over-18s, sadly. Further terms and conditions can be found on the link in our pinned tweet. And later on, we're actually going to go against the grain slightly. There's such an important match in the championship in midweek. It's Norwich against Brentford, and we're going to preview it with the help of EA Sports a little bit later in the show to help push this giveaway, which we think is a good one. So head there, get that sorted, but enter yourself into that lovely, lovely giveaway that we're doing in conjunction with EA Sports and with the EFL as well. George, we woke up this morning reeling from breaking news that Paul Lambert had parted company with Ipswich Town on Sunday night. We are going to react to that in the League One part of the show after we've spoken championship with Jed Wallace. But then just as we were digesting that with our breakfast this morning, George, we were punched in the face with some genuine breaking news out of the blue in the championship. And that is that Doncaster Rovers manager Darren Moore is now Sheffield Wednesday manager at Darren Moore, the man tasked with keeping Wednesday in the championship and building beyond that. What was your reaction to this news, which in, it, it's very rare these days that something really gets past us. But this was the case. It had no idea this was coming. 
Yeah, it, my reaction was seemingly less physical than your one. Um, and, I, and I'm happy for your sake that it wasn't Darren Moore himself hitting you in the face because <laughs> I don't think you'd be getting back up again. Um, you'll be our first podcast missed on a Monday in about five years. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a massive surprise. I was brushing my teeth when I found out the news this morning. Um, and it's kind of in, in the same way, I guess, as the Ipswich news coming out on Friday, both feel like a bit of a hark back to the old days where there weren't really long drawn out processes of rumors and backs and forth and Twitter hashtags about announce whoever it is and stuff. This was just back to the old days of there's news reporting it. There it is. Deal with it. And um, it's fair to say that Sheffield Wednesday in recent times has been a bit of a circus, both on and off the pitch. So, um, and, and that kind of brings me on to this appointment because it all seems a little bit too sensible for Sheffield Wednesday recently. Um, that's that's bordering on positive, George. I think I think it is positive. I think, um, you know, I saw what Jay uh, Sosick, Blades Analytic, tweeted, and it's completely right about how, you know, it's something we speak about a lot, about how the process just seems to not make any sense to go through the managers they've been through, Lehukai to, to Bruce, um, Monk, Pulis. You know, it doesn't seem to make much sense then through into Darren Moore. But I think maybe by going around the houses the wrong mm. way, They've, re- they've worked out where they need to be. I don't think that Darren Moore is necessarily an inspired appointment if they're looking for somebody to come in and immediately get the points on the board needed to get out of the relegation zone. Now, that is not me sitting here saying that I don't think he will do that. I just don't know. You know, the two jobs that he's had, he got a bit of a reaction at West Brom, of course, when he took over in the Premier League, even though they ended up still getting relegated. And at Doncaster, it feels like every week that's gone by in the job that he's done there, he's managed to improve them. And it felt like it was a bit of a project, although a project that was fairly reliant on loan signing. So maybe more had a look at what was in front of him, realised that the chances of getting Doncaster out of this division were fairly slim. If they failed to do that, he was going to be left with the bare bones of a squad again and have to regroup. I see a lot of Doncaster fans are pretty surprised to see that he's made the decision to leave, given they see themselves very much in a promotion race and see Sheffield Wednesday very much embroiled in a relegation saga. And I guess there's every chance the next season the two clubs could find themselves in different divisions, but the other way around. I, I still think even if that happens for more to take over a club like Sheffield Wednesday, even with their off-pitch troubles, even with the instability that an owner like Chancery brings, you know, it, it's a it's a, it's a huge job. It's a huge job with a huge fan base and a job, you know, it, it's kind of the job that when we've spoken to out-of-work managers, even despite the ownership issues, it's kind of the dream. It's taking over a side at their lowest ebb that has massive potential. Um, so in that sense, it's exciting. I think it's it's surely fair to assume that if, he, if they get relegated, he will be in charge there next season. Like if if that is the case and he and they do go down and he's and he's sacked, then, you know, we really are talking about a club that don't know what they're doing. Um, and if he manages, manages to keep them up, then they're also in great in, uh, in, in a good position. It's a bit like going for the green second shot on a par five, isn't it? It's it's risk and reward for Darren Moore himself because, you know, this has been discussed quite a lot this morning as being a risk, as being a gamble for Darren Moore. That's no surprise based on Sheffield Wednesday's recent managerial history uh, and all reports about the ownership and the the way that Chanziri runs the club and what we've seen with our own eyes as well when he has discussed matters <laughs> pertaining to Sheffield Wednesday and hasn't always been particularly convincing and, and hasn't always given the impression that he knows what's best on the football side. But I think, yeah, to say that it definitely won't work because Chanziri 
is a bad owner, I think that's a little too much of a blanket statement for me. You know, the Venkis hired Tony Mowbray. Um, the That terrible owner at Charlton, Du Châtelet, hired Lee Bowyer. You know, teams with bad owners can still do well on the pitch, potentially not long-term, but in the short-term, certainly. I did think that Graham Smith, uh, who actually covers Leeds United, but tweeted earlier, uh, he made a good point, though, that when a club's heading in the wrong direction and the issues are at a higher level than first-team management, it sucks in, chews up and spits out managers. They all think they're the one to fix it. Darren Moore might be the right man at Wednesday, but he's taking a huge risk. And I think that sums it up pretty well uh, in terms of why people would say it's a risk or a gamble, despite what you've said about Wednesday, you know, clearly in terms of fan base and revenue and stadium and, and financials, ultimately, <laughs> sort of what I would call the um, the natural financials anyway, should be um, quite a tantalising prospect for him. I think it's also right to remember Darren Moore at West Brom in the Championship I think we would we would look back and say, and we said at the time, we were unconvinced by his West Brom side towards the top end of the championship. And then I think it's very fair to say that we've been pleasantly surprised and sometimes delighted by his Doncaster side and some of the football they've played, especially, and some of the development of young players. So I think it's, um, you know, I would be feeling positive if I was a Sheffield Wednesday fan. I think the other thing to say is it's nothing really to do with football or him as a manager, but... Everyone absolutely loves Darren Moore. He's one mm. of the most popular people I've ever come across in the game, not just within football, people who have played with him and worked with him, but in the media as well. Everyone absolutely loves Darren Moore. I'm not sure what that necessarily means. Maybe it buys him a little bit more time. Maybe it makes things a little bit easier for him. You know, I think of someone like Steve Bruce, who's always had a reputation, certainly in the old school media of just being such a popular bloke that sometimes local journals have found it quite hard to be hugely critical of him where they might be for other managers. And it's something to be aware of. You're getting a manager that everyone wants to do well and it'll be interesting to see if that does buy him a little more time. But next, let's tackle weekend issues in the championship with special guest Millwall's Jed Wallace. <laughs> Back by popular demand after appearing on our player takeover pod last year. Jed Wallace of Millwall joins us. Jed, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, gents. Very well. I mean, that's a standard question to ask just to get things kicked off. How are you doing? How are things? But genuinely, one of the reasons we wanted to get you on is to ask, how are you coping at the moment with being a championship footballer and what that entails? Just eat, sleep, play football, sleep, get on a bus, sleep, play football, eat. Uh, it, it must be carnage at the moment. Yeah, it is. It is carnage. Um, feel like we're never training, uh, which is which is great because all players we love to play games. But it has been mad um, rolling from one game to the next. Um, pitches certainly haven't helped, and to I think so many clubs, us included, I think we've got something like eight or nine injuries. Um, just so it's been it's been a big load. Uh, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that. I haven't enjoyed it because I could be doing plenty of things that are a lot worse mm. than going out and playing football for a living. So I, I have enjoyed it. Um, and it's also, it's, it's a test of your professionalism because at the moment, if you, if you try and skip any corners, I think you, you're going to, it's going to catch up with you. Like I said, especially with the pitches and that. So it has been, has been manic. Uh, and then I get home and I've got two kids under three years old. So it's 24 seven WrestleMania mm. at the moment. I think one minute I'm on the pitch 
and the pitches are awful, so I'm fighting on the pitch and I'm at home, play fighting with the kids. So it's uh, <laughs> it has been a bit manic at the moment, definitely. Especially with me and Ali never moving from our seats. It sounds incredible to hear of somebody else's busy schedule, both as a dad and as a footballer. I mean, we speak to you now um, on Monday, a couple of days after uh, an away defeat against Barnsley. Barnsley being one of the um, you know, informed teams pretty much in the country under Valerian Ishmael. So before we talk about kind of the game and, you know, you got an assist in the game, which was great. And it was obviously a different system from the manager playing without a recognised striker. But what did you make of, of Barnsley aside who are getting so many plaudits for their football, especially out of possession? Yeah, do you know what? Um, I have never played against a team like that at any level of football. Um, the way they play was, it's mental. They literally, and I think the gaffer stressed it to us before the game and I think it even took us by surprise a little bit in terms of they just played this ridiculous high line, squeezed the game, um, which obviously then makes their press so good because they're only ever in one half of the pitch which is why they've done really well against probably the more possession-based teams recently, like Sir Brentford and people like that. Um, it's like they've just got... It's odd, to be honest. They just clear the ball and they just squeeze you so quickly. And obviously, I was playing up front, so I saw it firsthand. The boys at the back, they squeeze you so quick and they're not the quickest back three. Um, I'm sure they won't mind me saying anyway. Squeeze the pitch and then obviously they're in a position to press because they're already in your half. Um, and it felt like you should be in every time. And on the day, our quality with our four passes wasn't great. Um, didn't give ourselves much chance of getting behind them, uh, probably first half more. And I think you saw that even the way they play with our goal. I mean, we defend a set play. I think they put about eight people in the box from every set play. We had one set play, I hook it around a corner and we score in about eight seconds. So that they are mad. Uh, and without being disrespectful, I think it probably helps at the moment with the young energy they've got and the pitches ain't the best situation where they're just pressurising teams and they're just... They're, uh, like I say, they're, they're doing really well. And, and they have got some, me personally, Woodrow, Ro, uh, Moa, Chaplin. You must have had to chase Callum Stars up and down at times. Well, that was the only good thing about not being on the wing. I didn't have to run after him. I could <laughs> let um, Marlon Romeo do that, which is quite nice for it, once. It is, um, it's interesting, Jed, because it, you said that you, you were looking to get in behind and it wasn't quite coming off. I mean, what's been so noticeable from us is, from the first half of the season, it felt like they had a rick in them, sometimes two per game. And so you couldn't... Mm. You just couldn't be confident or, or or sure that they would keep a clean sheet. But in the last few games, they've managed to cut out any sort of individual errors. It, it feels like they're getting stronger and stronger as the season goes on. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And like you say, they, they are young. They've got a lot of energy. Um, and at the moment, I think you've seen... And to be fair, they've had the cup run as well. And, and they've still got going. Mm. And you, you can just tell that they're in the game. You can tell they're sniffing it like in terms of they're on a hot run. And you can tell they're all buying into it. Um you can tell they've got their tails up, they're confident. Mm. And, and like you say, I think sometimes they don't get the respect they deserve because they have got a lot of really good players at this level as well. Um, at, at the so same time, at the same time, they did score two goals from set plays, kind of scrappy ones as Which well. Which ain't like us. I think we've let one goal in all season from set plays. Um, and obviously, Jake Cooper, we didn't have Jake Cooper. And I think everyone mm. knows that he's probably the most dominant player in the league in the air. And to be fair, we missed him. We missed him. Uh they went big, actually, and it's probably the first time I've been part of a Mill team where they look, they were a lot bigger than us. Um, and, that, and that ultimately probably made a little bit of a difference, really, from set plays. Not a bad finish from my namesake, Michael Hellick, though, the centre-back. But, I mean, we, we talk about Barnsley's good run, and it's fair to say that you guys, I say, have been on your own little quiet good run. That was the first loss in yeah. eight games um, after what was a bit of a, a, a sticky spell kind of towards the turn of the year. So what is it that you guys have changed? Uh, why do you think you've got on that 
had like, a little bit of improvement at this stage of the season. Yeah, I, I think for us, George, it's, it's like, it's better you guys have watched us a lot over the last three or four years uh, and, and two out of three seasons we finished eighth, which is great for us. And this season, we want to try and do that again. We, the games for us that we're such a tight team, it's always one goal either way. Um, so us going on a run of five wins out of eight is literally, it's probably three or four goals is the difference. Mm. Um, we're not a team that really loses many games 4-2 or we don't win many 3-1. It's such fine lines with us. Uh, and I know it sounds a bit stupid, but literally we've had a clinical finish when we needed one, where at times we haven't. Uh, we've had a lot of games where we've been one nil up. We've had a massive chance to go 2 nil up. We missed it and then we've ended up drawing. And that's kind of been the story of our season, really. Um, and I always think with us, like, we ain't, we, we ain't the, the best team in the league. We're definitely not the best team in the league, but I always think you've got to be good to beat us, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Barnsley were good on the weekend. Um, when I think of our other losses, um, Swansea, Notch Forest on a day, Amiobi scored a couple of great goals. So we don't lose many, but for us to improve, we have to be more clinical because we're just missing too many chances, really, when we need to kill the game off. I guess the injuries probably aren't aren't helping too much. Um, I'd be interested to hear some thoughts on some of the other teams in the league. I know that as well as being a player in the Championship, you're also someone that absolutely loves the league just in general and, and, and following the, what's going on at the top and at the bottom. It's kind of hard to work out whether we're calling it a top three or a top four. Watford, with a, a really good run of four wins in a row, put themselves very much back into that picture. So it's looking at four clubs at the top really Norwich Brentford Watford and Swansea albeit as I speak I know that there's actually 11 points now between Norwich and Swan so you know Norwich City top of the table let's start with them they got um, yeah. a, a win against Wickham on Sunday that, that wasn't easy but I don't think it was necessarily a surprise how it played out and how they scored their goals what do you mm-hmm. make of of Norwich Did, you know you'll have come up against them two seasons ago you'll have come up against them this season what do you make of them yeah, uh, best team we played, I think, definitely. Um, we drawn with them twice, nil-nil. Um, but certainly the way they moved the ball, uh, I think you've got two players in Buendia and Puki that between them, they're probably going to contribute to 40-odd goals, um, which is huge over the course of the season. And then I think people underestimate the spine of the team as well with Hanley and Gibson, with a lot of a, a lot of a foreign influence there in terms of Ramchich, people like that, they're very intricate players. They also have that steel, I think, um, with the goalkeeper and with the two centre-offs. And they've run away with it. I think probably three or four weeks ago, I probably would have thought Brentford would have would have been ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but Norwich have come free. And definitely them free. When I think our game so far, Swansea, Brentford, Norwich, um, by far the best three we played. And then to, to be quite honest, I don't feel like there's much between everyone else. Um, especially this season. Set plays, huge. I think everyone's tired. So it's just who can take their chances at the key moments, and I think that's why you see Kiefer Moore at Cardiff, Zhao at Reading, um, them sort of guys are, are making all the difference, I think, this season. Whilst Brentford are definitely one of the better teams in the, in the division and now look pretty well set to get up to the Premier League, things have changed there. You know, there's no more Griffin Park anymore with the new stadium. They oh, seem to change. There. Oh, my God. Oh, that's gonna, I was going to say, player, that's what I was going to say. Says that was the heart, the worst place to go. When Ben Rama, they're all running, what, they're all running rings around here. <laughs> Mate, Everyone hates going there. It's honestly like an in-joke that you guys have, that whenever you're on a podcast with us, whether it's you or Connor, whoever it is, always makes a point of saying, I hate playing Brentford away at Griffin Park. It was Park. the worst. It was the worst. It's the worst. It's, it's the, the changing rooms and they were just... It just felt like they had about eight wingers every time we played against them. Like they're just getting in behind you. Honestly, like that. Every single player I played with, oh, 
easy. Griffin Park, Brentford, hardest team in the world to play against. <laughs> but it's interesting because last season, especially under Thomas Frank, they were a side who, whilst they had the individual quality of those players, you mentioned Ben Rama, Watkins and Bomo, it was their defence that was the key reason why they were so strong. They didn't concede mm. many goals. This season, they're conceding plenty of goals. They've picked up the most points of any team in the league from losing positions. Does it feel like the Brentford side you played against this season are uh, uh, a development, like an advancement, I guess, on the one from last season in any way? Or is it the same kind of high-intensity, difficult game? Um, you know, how, how do you compare them to the, the Brentfords you played against before? Yeah, I think when we played them in the den, uh, we drew one all. Mm. Uh, and actually, to be fair, we probably shaded it. We had a big chance at the end, uh, but Bradshaw just stuck it wide. But the big difference I thought with, with them compared to with having Tony is if you do press them now, they just clip it into the front. And Tony, obviously, one of the best in the league at getting hold of it and bringing others into play, which has been a big difference from before, where they've been, like you say, very much wingers rolling in, Watkins running in behind. So that was the big difference. Um, but again, like it's, I was actually talking to Alex Pierce earlier about the Reading team he had when he got promoted. Uh, from the championship and he was saying like core of the team was like Ledgerwood Jason Roberts uh, and it's the same when you look at Brentford they got Pinnock De Silva and Tony down the middle of the pitch that in their positions they're probably the three best players in the league so mm. I think there'll be a lot of people that will probably expect them to go up this season and obviously I know Ivan quite well I've known Ivan for years and he looks like he could be the greatest ever goal scoring season uh, and if he gets 35 goals then they're probably going to go up aren't they and Fair play, 35 goals is for the first season of the championship is, is some going for him, to be honest. How would you how would you describe your experiences with Ivan Tony over the years? You, you, as you said there, you know him well, you've come up against him a lot. It's been an unbelievable few years of development, but he's been on the scene for quite a while, right? Did you always know he had this in him? What have you seen? So, like, one of my best friends is Ricky Holmes. Uh, he was at Northampton. He left Portsmouth and went to Northampton, and obviously Ivan was there. I was at Wolves, so obviously Wolves and Northampton not far apart. So I spent a lot of time with the Northampton lads just in the afternoons, having a coffee, whatever. So I got to know Ivan through through Holmesy, and he always loved him. And obviously, then he actually, I think Ivan went to Wolves slightly before me and failed a medical. Um, uh-huh. Literally six months before I went, failed a medical, and then obviously went to Newcastle. And I think everywhere he's been, he's kind of scored goals, isn't he? Um, but I think even he would say himself, he's probably surprised himself a little bit how much he stepped up. And yeah, he looks. Uh, but even when we played him, I think it was the first time he scored for Brentford against us. It was a sixth or seventh game of the season. Mm. He'd not scored yet, big signing, and he just walks up to the penalty like he's got a cigar in his mouth and just puts it in the bottom corner. Like he, he's got he's got that confidence in he that every great goal scorer has. Uh, and yeah, he, he's he's done really well. So fair play to him. And League One strikers nowadays they cost a lot of money because they are they are good as 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 Ivan's shown. Uh, fair to say you take a very different approach to your penalties, Jed, which is more of the close your eyes, run as fast as you can, and hit yeah. the ball as hard as you can. I'm in between uh, Gallagher at Preston and Tony at Brentford. I'm just in between the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what, what do you make of uh, Swans? Is there, I mean, they're in fourth now. They're a point behind Watford, but they have got two games in hand. Of course, they, they've had some kind of strange defeats in the last 10 days or so against Huddersfield and, and Swansea. Before that, they were just an absolute paragon of consistency mm. and strength defensively and scoring goals as well. I know that you were you were impressed with the signing of, of Conor Harahan as well in, in January. What have you made of, of Swans? Yeah, same again. Um, I think the start of this season, a big part of any successful team was going to be the ones that could keep their best players fit. Uh, and I think if you look down the middle of their team with with Gihi, Grimes, um, obviously Andre Ayew, they, they've all stayed fit and played a lot of games and obviously quality players, um, really good manager. 
brought in a lot of young players, isn't he, that he's worked with at England, like obviously Morgan Gibbs-White, people like that, that I was with at Wolves. Um, and again, we, to be fair, we pressed them, really went and pressed them and they one of the only teams this season that they completely play around us on the day. Um, and again, like these teams at the top of the league, they're there for a reason. They have unbelievable squads. Uh, you've mm. seen someone like Manning, obviously, at QPR last year, who was easily one of the hardest fullbacks I played against last season. He's barely played much football for them in the league. Um, so the people like that on the bench that aren't playing many games, that's the strength and depth that you've got. Um, and when I look at us, you know, we, we've got four or five young lads on the bench at the moment because we're just struggling for numbers. And these are the sort of these sort of clubs. That's the strength and depth they've got. So it's no coincidence really that they are up the top of the league. Um, and again, people like signing people like Ryan Bennett and Connor, who you guys and I know, they're they're quality quality signings that are probably going to make the difference for them sort of clubs. Going to look down the table now, Jed, to the team in 24th. And, you know, you mentioned that Barnsley were a funny team to play against. I'm intrigued to know what you made playing against Gareth Ainsworth's Wickham. Uh, and, you know, they came up against Norwich yesterday and did pretty well, to be honest. Kept Norwich at 0-0 at half-time, had their chances to make it one all. And I know you watched a bit of the game as well. You know, I personally think that Gareth Ainsworth has done an incredible job, even this season, irrespective of where Wickham finished, given how competitive he's made them. Uh, what was it like coming up against a side who um, sometimes describes as caveman football? Yeah, it's infuriating, to be honest. Um, <laughs> they just try they just try and frustrate you. Um, but it's football. Like, doesn't mean that they're wrong for doing that. It's every, every team. If they opened up and played up in the back, they'd probably lose every game. So fair play to them. Uh, and I've been playing for Millwall for five years, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm the biggest advocate of total football because football is football, right? Everyone has their own style. It's about winning games. Uh and, and they again, they're difficult to play against. Uh, they drop in deep. Their game is anything. Throw their bodies in the line. And again, like every other team in this league, they have got players that, that can hurt you. Um, even like Jacobson, obviously, people like that. Huge from, huge threat from set plays. Big Uche up front. Yeah, and he's a handful, a real handful. He was mm. good against us. Uh, PC and Coops actually come through with him at Reading and said like he's a handful. And on the day, he was difficult to play against. Mm. And they're, they're a hard side to play against, I think. They've also, I watched them against Derby um, midweek, a couple of weeks ago, and they have a goal that's clearly onside. They score an own goal out of nowhere, and then and then Derby get a free kick. It's not a free kick. Hits a post and goes falls to wisdom and goes in. And, and when you, I know it sounds silly, but it is true. When you're down there, you, you don't get no luck, uh, and, and they've not really had that quite a lot of the times. It's, it's happened loads to them as well. Yeah, it probably has, and that's that's the thing when you're down there. When we were on our bad run, like you said, George, we went to Blackburn and we had three stonewall penalties. You don't get them. And then we go on a good run. We pro- Wickham probably should have had a penalty against us and, and they don't get one. Uh, mm. So it is, at, at a time, you do need a little bit of luck. But obviously, you are where you are for a reason. Um, and I say, I think they've done well and they haven't been blown out of the water. I think it's probably only Brentford, really, that have smashed them, really. Apart from that, they've been in every game, haven't they? We're jumping around a bit. I just want to uh, give a little bit of credit to Bristol City who beat Swansea on the weekend. Um, because we got you on, we're, we're doing things a little bit differently. But uh, I wanted to, to just shout out Zach Viner again. Uh, obviously, Nigel Pearson's getting the headlines because he only joined this week. And it's a tactical tweak that he made at half-time, pushing Viner from the back into midfield when Swans had had the whole of the first half absolutely battered Swans, who had Daniel Bentley to, to thank for being still uh, at nil-nil at half-time. But Viner is really interesting to me because uh, everyone who listens to the pod knows that George and I have got a bit of a thing for Christian Bielik, who plays for Derby, just because just because um, there aren't many players like him who have, you know, who basically have to me almost a complete skill set. That is the physical capabilities, strength, size, 
um, stamina, you know, not the quickest, but can carry the ball. The technical ability to pick a forward pass as well, which is really helpful at the back or in defensive midfield. Um, and just a player that we really like and so versatile as well that allows you to switch up formations in game. I mean, I know you guys, uh, the way that over the last few years, you've played three at the back quite a lot. You can switch to a four to have someone who can change roles in game and not have to make a sub every time in order to do so is so, so valuable. So I, I noted that Viner stepped into midfield at half time, looked like, you know, he played the, the full game there. And, and like Bielik, he's driving the ball forward. He was winning, winning second balls in midfield, but he can play as well and he can pick that forward pass. So he's someone that really caught my eye. I'm not sure if you've um, come up against him or... Come up against him. I need to be fair. At the den, we lost 1-0 when he was good. Uh, and like you say, then... We have our very own one of them in Ryan Leonard. Um, yeah. mm. And he actually went from right side of a back three. Can't remember who he played. Right side of a back three. Next game, he started number 10 against Chef Wednesday. <laughs> Literally went from centre-half to number 10. And the gaffer went before the gaffer before the game went, yeah, right, right there, you've got to get him behind there, Lenny. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute. Three days ago, you were playing centre-half. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Uh, I want to ask you about Reading as well. They beat Rotherham in midweek they'd lost four or five before then but they're still uh inside the playoffs in fifth position uh, fairly narrow one nil win against rotherham michael morrison uh with the goal i i always think michael morrison looks a bit like george if george had beefed up a bit and contested around <laughs> five hundred thousand aerial duels over the space of 10 years what, yeah, and also and also lifted a lot of weights i think yeah. as well i mean our, I our physique couldn't be less different that's, that's, i saw him on your program he was on your efl on quest the other week wasn't he? we were there together yeah i mean and he always says this when i was on with, with stephen warnock you said i look like warnock like, i'm on with <laughs> dean next weekend is it is that gonna be the same again probably <laughs> probably uh reading are one of the teams that you guys have played twice already this season jed so i'm hoping you've got yeah. some decent insight into what makes them tick yeah, we've done well against them uh, recently, actually. Started off on the far, in the back five, um, probably let their four, which is very good, obviously, Olise, uh, Ajari, Ajao, and whether it's Semedo or Swift, um, let them have a bit too much control in the game. And then, to be honest, we just flipped it old school, picked Matt Smith up front, um, stuck mm -hmm. him on McIntyre and just hit it long for 45 minutes. And I think Smudge won every single first contact and we managed to get up the pitch. Again, difficult pitch. Probably first half, tried to play a little bit of football, got didn't really get very far, brung smudge on, stuck it long. And, and to be fair, second half, we um we really took it to them. Um, but again, like you say, Olise, one of the players that I've been most impressed with this season. Um, similar to Harvey Elliott, probably at Blackburn, same position as me, but very opposite. Um, obviously, left foot has really come inside the pitch, sort of narrow forward. And the two of them, again, they, they went 1-0 up. Elise comes in, pits an unbelievable ball through to Jao. And our keeper, Bart, uh, not for the first time this season, makes a massive save, keeps us in the game, like I was saying earlier. And then fine lines, we come back, win second half. Um, there is, I thought actually the, the top six were nailed on sort of four or five weeks ago, but now it's opened mm. up a little bit. Mm. Um, so I think Redden and Bournemouth um, will have to certainly carry on doing well to, to get in that top six now with a chasing pack behind. It's interesting that you mentioned Elise and Elliot, because <clears throat> I think if we were to choose two players currently playing in the championship who could go to the, the very, very top, it would probably be those two. But is there anybody else who stands out in your mind who you've come up against this season who you think, yeah, this guy is seriously good? Yeah, uh, definitely Max Ahrens. I think definitely one. Um, surprise he's there as long as he has been, to be honest. He's definitely one. Um, and then it's, it's your normal your normal shouts, Ivan Tony, Armstrongs. And the one I always think that goes under the radar is De Silva at Brentford. Mm. For me, by far and away, the best midfielder. 
um, always goes under the radar. But like I said, I think every team now has got sort of two or three players that can really hurt you. Um, and that's why the top six are the top six, because they've probably got a few more. You know, when you look at like Bournemouth's bench, you think, God, like they, they all of them players start for every team, 80% of the team in the league. Mm. Uh, yeah. So that is why they are where they are, really. And what about fullbacks or defenders that have not really given you much change? Uh, I mean, you've got a decent group of left backs in the league. It's probably not the strongest position in terms of depth, but you've got people like Rico Henry. Always strikes me that basically no one seems to beat him on the outside for pace. So I, I imagine you guys have had some some decent foot races. Yeah, yeah. Rico is always a good one. He's one. You spend as much time chasing him back the other way as you do <laughs> trying to run him the other way. Um, Bidwell is always one that stands out to me strong doesn't give you much and and Manning last season Manning last season again the Swansea you've got two there that's quite handy really because I only have to play against one of them because I don't want to be on the bench <laughs> do, you quite handy. do you talk to guys when you play against them like do you chat much during the game you know do you yeah, say think, to Rico Henry yeah, like come on mate with a few so like tomorrow obviously us and Preston we played against each other probably eight times <laughs> in the last four or five years so I know Hughes <laughs> at left back so I say oh you're right mate how are you doing da 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 and then yeah. ball goes to the top and I'll hopefully try and distract him while running behind <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, there's, there's a few that you get on with and there's a few that, that you don't. Uh, obviously, Omar Richards have played against this season. Um, first time I've come up against him, really good on the ball. Um, as most of the Reading players are, very, very easily handled the ball. And then I hear he could be going to Bayern Munich. So maybe they must have watched they must have watched me against him when he had me on toast for 90 minutes. And maybe he's getting a move, he's getting a move to Bayern Munich now. Unbelievable. Huh? Hey, just just a quick one. Uh, you, you said there are some some players and teams that you don't get on so well with. I don't know if you saw the uh, Bournemouth-Watford game early on Saturday. You'd have been preparing for your own game. But Jefferson Lerma put in one of the biggest rustling performances I think I've ever seen. And I'm just interested to know what where you stand on this because... You know, predictably, the the Watford fan base are calling him a disgrace to the game and a cheat and, yeah. and this and that. And like, I, I, sometimes it depends what mood I'm in, whether I think it's disgraceful behaviour, whether I think it's quite funny. And for some reason on Saturday, I just found the whole thing <laughs> quite funny. Where, 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 yeah. do, where do you stand on, on the league's great rustlers? Yeah, uh, I don't think, I think Bournemouth with Pearson and Lerman midfield, they could be winding up a few opposition fans, that's what I would say. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. We had one a couple of years ago against Brentford, actually, where like it's all going off, and it makes you laugh because nothing's going to really ever happen. Yeah. And I sort of touched um, one of their lads, and he just fell over. So he touched me, and I've just jumped over and done about eight rolls down the side of the touchline. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think. Yeah, you don't get. We had a bit of a scuffle the other day, actually, with uh, Big Yukovic and Ben Thompson were having a little bit. I said to Tomo after the game, I was like, "Mate, you're like five foot six. Like Djukovic will just fold you in half, mate. Do you know what I mean, you've got absolutely no chance. <laughs> he like, looks, he looks, he's so solid, Djukovic as well. He looks like the kind of guy where just even like yeah, bouncing off him would hurt. Hundred percent, but hundred percent. But I think it, it's always in the heat of battle. You always want to win. But I think most, I mean, you can count on one hand how many people you don't like in football. There's loads. And I'm not going to tell you who they are because that's that's starting to start to me. <laughs> You're not going to get that on me, Ali. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I don't like. Not, no chance. Don't worry. I, I won't ask that till your third appearance on Not The Top 20 Pod this time next year. <laughs> nice one. Mate, Appreciate you've got you, you've got Preston uh, tomorrow night. They are tough to predict at the moment. Big win on the weekend. Quite a few disappointing performances. They've been, as you, you said yourself, you've played them a lot over the last few years and they've always had a, a pretty strong core like yourselves. But just starting to, to maybe take on an, an, a new... A new look um, with a lot of people leaving in January and a lot of people coming in. And what are you expecting yeah. from that game against Preston? What are you guys? What are you guys going to be mindful of? 
yeah, are always difficult to play against uh, Preston, probably similar to ourselves where they've overachieved for three or four years and trying to just bridge that gap constantly to the so-called bigger clubs. Um, but again, loads of good players. Obviously, Jason Malumbi, who was massive for us last season, struggling to get in the team. So that does show how many good players they have got. Uh, and I've even seen, I think Daniel Johnson's been an unused sub a couple of times recently. Again, who's another quality player. Uh, so yeah, big win for them on the weekend. Uh, saw the highlights. They scored a couple of great goals on the counter-attack. Um, and, and they, to be fair, they probably think they owe us one. We beat them 2-0 uh, earlier in the season and we had Alex Pearce and Sean Williams as managers on the day. So it was a bit of a mad, mad day all round, really. So we'd, um, we'd love to beat them again. I think we've done a double over them last season. So if we could do that again, then that's a sign of... They're, they're typically a hard team to beat. So if you're beating teams like that, then then you must be off decent yourself. So if we can beat them again tomorrow, like you say, a lot of firepower. They're coming off a big win and we're coming off a really disappointing result. So I think we need to carry on backing up our home performances. We've had a couple of decent results at home, so we need to back that up again tomorrow night, I think. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for giving up a bit of your time on a Monday afternoon to chat to us about all things championship. We uh, we love having you on, Jed. And just before you go, I wanted to ask a really silly question because it's been on my mind basically since last year. Do you wish that your full name was Jedley, like Ledley King? <laughs> Because <laughs> it strikes me, mate. Because uh, we, we could, know, we could obviously, we could still call you Jed, obviously. But then you'd have a bit more of a formal option as well if you ever needed to fall back on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've ever sat around and actually thought about that. Now you've said that, give me a couple of weeks to think about it, and I'll see how I feel about it. If that's all right. I think, I think it's just because he wants you to, to be a double act called Ali and Jedley. That's yeah, well, that'd be right. It could be a good boy band. It could be the start of something special. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. Thanks, Cheers, thanks, guys. Thanks for being a good sport. We'll, we'll talk again soon. Definitely. Cheers, Ali. Cheers, George. Before we head into League One, we are just going to preview the Brentford-Norwich game in midweek because at this stage of the season, I think when you have first playing second with so much at stake, you have to call it the biggest game so far this season uh, in the Championship. It's one that I'm absolutely buzzing about, George. Both teams had a good weekend, you have to say, because... Norwich and Brentford both winning, Watford and Swansea both losing. What I want to know is, what are your thoughts on this game at Carrow Road in midweek? It's a 5.30 kickoff. Dusk will be falling on a spring evening <laughs> in Norwich. How do you see it playing out? I think it's going to be really interesting because you've kind of got a bit of a clash in styles between the two now and how they'd both like to play, I think. Um, you know, if this game was happening a couple of seasons ago, you'd think it would be two sides pretty keen to control possession. But I think we're likely to see Norwich having most of the ball. I think the addition of Skip in midfield certainly gives them a little bit more control in the middle of the park. Him and McLean very capable of just keeping the ball in advanced areas. Um, the lack of Cantwell um, on the weekend against Wickham was certainly felt. Anel Hernandez struggled to really have much of an impact against the Wickham side. And it was an awkward game for Norwich, to be fair. I mean, Wickham had a couple of chances at 1-0 to, to draw level. They managed to, to get the late goal through Ida late on. And I still think with Rancic and Puki and Buendia playing, they should have plenty of opportunities to threaten a Brentford side who continue to really struggle to keep clean sheets. Uh, we saw again, they went behind early against Stoke. But it's amazing that they have picked up the most points from losing positions than any side in the championship when you consider what we've always thought about Brentford in the past. You know, this is no longer the Brentford who are continually squander leads. This is a side who keep keep believing even when they do concede goals. And they can and they do concede plenty as well. But the return of Ivan Tony to the starting lineup against Stoke was so important. The strike of Yanel as well. I didn't really know he had that in his locker. An incredible goal. So 
I think this is a game where we're going to see attacking football being, which we don't normally see with big games towards the top end of the table. Norwich have very little to lose here. Brentford have to win, and if they're going to try and close them down, I think Norwich will attack in the way we're used to. They'll have most of the ball, but Brentford looking to spring them on the break. So I hope and I think the goals should be in order. But Ali, you've already seen this game. You've already watched it. Yeah, that's right. As you guys know, we spoke at the top of the show. We're we're in conjunction with EA Sports and FIFA 21 because we got that nice giveaway that I told you about at the top of the show. And I just thought that it would be interesting to see how FIFA 21 sees this game going. So I played out a little simulation this morning. Um, (laughs) the, The first thing I would say is just to pick up on what you've spoken about there. There are so many interesting matchups, both personnel-wise, but tactically as well in this game, and I cannot wait to see it play out. I mean, Tony has nine goals in his last eight league games, and Puki has seven in his last five league games. So just probably uh, headline news is that we've got two goal scorers in unbelievable form, and both certainly came to the fore, George, on, on the simulation. The first thing to say is that hearing Derek Ray and Lee Dixon commenting on this game rather <laughs> rather than Daniel Mann and Danny Higginbottom was, uh, was something of a shock early on. But I must say, Norwich, you know, true to what you've said there, dominated possession early on without much penetration, but with more energy, certainly more intent. The first thing to say is, and I'm looking forward to this in real life, Hanley versus Tony, a real battle for the ages. Hanley is a very hands-on defender, a front foot defender. And early on in this simulation, he took he certainly took the first two rounds, but maybe not um, from that point, the winner. Uh, Norwich took the lead after half an hour and it was pure Norwich City. Uh, Max Aaron's high and wide in space with a clever inside pass to Vrancic and he himself then flicked it on to Puki and he wasn't going to miss. Brentford, poor up to that point, was spurred into an immediate response and then they equalised through Tony. A good build-up play out wide between Mbermo and Dalsgaard and Tony was picked out for one all. And honestly, and it sounds ridiculous, but this was the match that I'm kind of dreaming happens on Wednesday night. It was one all at half-time, beautifully balanced. One of the key battles, which I think will be the case as well, Norwich fullbacks bombing on high, getting on the ball in, in high wide areas in the final third and the bees winger, the bees wingers rather, um, struggling to track them. But it did mean there were a few occasions where Brentford got in behind those fullbacks and had some joy. And I think that's what Brentford will be trying to engineer, those transition opportunities. Uh, in the second half, big chances apiece for Vrancic and De Silva thwarted by Raya and Krull. The game was on a knife edge, George, until <laughs> 10 minutes to go. A slick counter from Brent- from Brentford. Josh De Silva ghosting into the box and finishing well. It's a 2-1 win for Brentford as per FIFA 21. Absolutely buzzing for the game on Wednesday. Look, we say all this, guys, to basically boost entrance into what we think is an amazing giveaway that we're doing in conjunction with EA Sports and the EFL. They're offering free streaming access to your club's remaining Skybet EFL fixtures. If you are one of six winners, I'm going to pick a winner every day between Monday and Saturday this week. And all you have to do is retweet our pins tweet and follow us on Twitter at NTT20Pod. And if you're into FIFA but you haven't got FIFA well if you enter the competition you've got a chance of being one of six winners of a free FIFA 21 game code as well so if you like watching your team on iFollow or your club's streaming platform if you like playing FIFA but you can't currently because you don't have it well (laughs) two chances to win so do get involved on our Twitter page now please do enter our giveaway and we really enjoy doing stuff like this because we think the prizes are pretty cool (laughs) 
let's tackle some League One results. But first, some League One managerial news. Of course, Doncaster Rovers will move forward with veteran centre-back Andy Butler in charge of their first team after Darren Moore left for Sheffield Wednesday, which we spoke about earlier. Interestingly, Andy Butler has previously been managing the Doncaster women's team uh, as of recently. I'm not sure if he'll keep up that gig while he's taking interim <laughs> charge of Donny, but I would like him to do so. I can't imagine there have been many cases of, uh, of someone managing both men and women's teams uh, professionally, but that's a nice little wrinkle there. And we wish Andy Butler well, see how he gets on. Donny not in very good form. But there's another managerial departure in League One, George, and it's probably the one that we have spoken most about potentially happening for about 12 to 15 months now. Uh, <laughs> Paul Lambert leaving Ipswich Town. It has felt like it's been newsworthy for so long that it almost felt like a bit of an anticlimax. But there it was announced on Sunday night, parting company with the club, reportedly after a couple of strong discussions with Marcus Evans about his ownership of the club, his stewardship of things. And he leaves uh, Ipswich after back-to-back -back wins, ironically, which they hadn't actually recorded for about three months before this weekend. <laughs> How many times do you reckon that American office gif of it's happening has been put on Ipswich Town um, WhatsApp groups over the last 48 hours with both the takeover uh, and the appointment? And, you know, they, they come hand in hand. The Athletic were the first people to break uh, officially break the exclusive. I think there have been some rumours around Brett Johnson, um, but the first to really come out and say uh, with Matt Slater and Phil Buckingham um, with a story exclusive that not only was Brett Johnson in the final stages of finalising a takeover in Ipswich, but that he was also looking to replace Lambert with Paul Cook. Step one has happened, or maybe step two. I mean, Lambert has gone. The takeover hasn't been finalised yet and Cook isn't isn't sitting in the hot seat yet. But I think the 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 part that, um, at least in the short term, Ipswich fans wanted to see has happened. And it, it kind of, it amused me a little bit that I saw last night um, a tweet that we got from somebody saying, looking at the league table, isn't this a little bit harsh? Uh, uh, it was like that was planted. Classic, it was like it was planted because I knew that then I could flip it to you on the podcast. George, looking at the league table, Ipswich, <laughs> they're, they're not in a poor league position. Does this look a little bit harsh on Paul Lambert? No. No, um, everything in terms of his stewardship at the football club is totally against the way that the fans want their club to be run. And that is the most important thing, whether it's the style of play, whether it's the relationship with the local media, whether it's the relationship with the fans. Um, his his popularity at Portman Road has been so long, has been so low for so long. And I would say mass fan opinion trumps table position every single day of the week because there are more important things than that. And, you know, they're lucky that they are able now to look for a manager um, at a time where they are, they are still in eighth place and in touching distance of the promotion race. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a, um, it's a good job to be taking on, I guess. I mean, I watched their game against Oxford a week ago where they had the better of the game in a nil-nil draw. I mentioned in midweek in the Totally Football League show Extra Time that, that James Norwood's return to the starting lineup has definitely changed them. And he seems to actually be linking up pretty well with Troy Parrott, even though Parrott isn't scoring the goals. Their link-up play seems to be working quite nicely. And he, he, just his presence on the team makes them a far less stale proposition for teams to come up against. Um, whether it's going to be, I mean, we, we assume from what from what Phil and Matt have said, it's going to be Paul Cook. It hasn't been announced yet. Looking at the, the betting, 
Danny Cowley, as ever, is the kind of second favourite clear of everybody else. If it is Cook, though, I, I expect him to have a pretty big impact because I still think this Ipswich side, if you look at their team, if you look at their 1-11, to is one, certainly one of the best, maybe even still the best team in terms of talent in the league. Uh, and that is a key reason why you might look at Ipswich being an eighth and you think, well, last season they finished outside the playoffs as well. But if you're thinking Ipswich an eighth is, is, a, is a decent job done for Paul Lambert, that just shows you how far the standards have slipped in his time in charge. Yeah, I mean, if you, it's interesting that they have improved in the last few games. There's been murmurs, shall we say, that I've picked up on that um, one of the first team coaches, Matt Gill, who I think will take charge on Tuesday night, certainly in interim on an interim basis, has been much more active in recent weeks in terms of uh, his input as um, uh, the assistant manager for Paul Lambert, Stu Taylor, sadly had to return to Scotland as his father wasn't very well. Um, and it'd be interesting to see how they go on Tuesday night, even if a manager isn't announced by then, because they have played a lot better, interestingly, with a lot less of the ball and, and actually maybe being a little bit more reactive. I've been used to watching an Ipswich side so stale with the ball that it's been tough to watch at times. And actually, having a, a smaller share of possession in a game doesn't necessarily mean they won't play better football. They, 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 you know, in the last few weeks, it has looked a little bit better, even if Lambert's, uh, well, even if his grip on things appeared to be loosening. So, look, I mean, we've spoken to Paul Kirk and Danny Cowley quite a lot this season on podcasts uh, when we've worked with them on, on Quest and on Sky and... Uh, of course, they have been the sort of front runners for almost any job in the championship and at the top of League One uh, for, for the most part of this season. We're in March now. And I think if you would told us and maybe them uh, back in, in August that they'd still be out of a job by now, then that might be something of a surprise. So uh, it would not be a surprise to see one of those get the job. No inside info here, unfortunately, but I'm sure we will... Um, pick up on this when an appointment is made probably comment later on in the week on the totally football league show extra time you mentioned the matt slater phil buckingham uh, exclusive on the potential new owners it's a really interesting uh proposition this group of american investors fronted by a businessman brett johnson uh, they're involved with Phoenix Rising out in the States, a club that some of you may have heard of. Didier Drogba played for them a few years ago. Uh, they're in USL, not MLS, so sort of the, 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 the tier below MLS, although, of course, they don't enjoy promotion relegation like we do. And it's been an interesting project, put it that way. And, you know, you only need to follow Kieran Maguire and listen to Kieran Maguire's podcasts and listen to Matt Slater and read his stuff to know that US investor interest in English football is growing quite significantly over the last few years. And this looks like a, an, another one of those. And I, I suppose, as always, we don't really judge ownership groups based on what we can find out when the news first breaks, but rather how they approach things having taken over. So if that's going to be the case, I don't think you'll get any strong opinions from us until, you know, six, 12 months down the line, because I'm someone that prefers to judge owners on their actions rather than... Um, you know, any sort of uh, reporting or any sort of initial quotes that they give when they join and, and, and big plans and things like that. But all change at, at, at Ipswich, certainly in the dugout um, as of this morning, potentially in the boardroom as well. If you want to read that piece that Matt wrote uh, with Phil, it, it's got a lot of interesting detail. Um, there's also some great EFL player profiles and interviews on The Athletic over the last week. Ilias Chair of QPR, Ryan Nyambe 
of Namibia, although don't read that one if you don't like snakes. That's uh, something I'll say. <laughs> um, and and Luco9, lovely Luco9, the most popular player uh, in Sunderland. Uh, some really good interviews. So do go and check that out if you're not a an Athletic subscriber. Then you can go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 if you'd like to become one. You'll get a 50% off subscription, which is £2.50 a month in total. Some really good stuff there. On the pitch, George Ipswich obviously getting an important win, but plenty of winners of the weekend in League One. One team that's just winning and winning, 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 winning. That's six, if you're wondering, six in a row. Other league leaders at Peterborough United, George. They beat Wigan from behind. And I have to admit, I had a close eye on this one because I wanted to see if this team that's been... In, in on paper at least looking like they're blitzing all before them um, was truly our, our champions elect and I left unconvinced I would say uh, Wigan certainly emerged from this game with a lot of credit their youngster Asgard scoring a magnificent Olympic goal this the second goal that uh, direct from a corner in the space of about five minutes across the EFL on the weekend after Casey Palmer did the same and Peterborough like they have done quite a lot recently actually needed a tweak needed a personnel change sometimes it's a tactical change to move things in their favor this time it was the introduction of the youngster Burrows a 19 year old came on left wing back immediately within two minutes had done what he appears to do very, very well. It's really exciting. His delivery from the left side with his left foot perfectly on the head of Johnson Clark Harris. That was the equaliser. And then as has often been the case with Wigan, when they are at the absolute limit of their performance and striving and striving and striving, quite often one goal concession has led to another. And, and it was a penalty in the end. Questionable, some thought. Uh, it was Dariqua on Siriki Dembele and Clark Harris put Posh 2-1 up. So, I mean, my review of that is that they're, they're, they're not playing that well, but still enough to win six in a row. And, and that doesn't mean to say that their own performances won't improve. But I do think if they continue to play like this, it's, you know, I can see a, a couple of games where they don't pick up all three points. It feels to me like there are sides who have bad periods in most games. If that makes sense. They were they were very poor in the first half against AFC Wimbledon. They took 82 minutes to really get going at home here to a Wigan side who are doing everything they can to to battle relegation. I mean, as you said, the Wigan goal came directly from a corner, so we can't give them too much credit for getting ahead. But Peter was still making pretty heavy weather of it. Um, but we're at that stage of the season where you've got to wonder if it matters or not. You know, if, if this was... October or November, you'd say, look, they've got to improve because otherwise, you know, before, you know, results are going to dip. But even if they revert now to a kind of playoff team mean, they've probably still got enough points on the board to, to stick around that automatic promotion area. They've got a gap now to second um, and they've got the firepower. And I, and I guess that the narrative around them now being table toppers around them winning seven of their last eight games or, or whatever the figure is, probably means that if you're a side like Wigan here and, you, and you're 1-0 up with 10 minutes to go and they've got Johnson Clark-Harris and Siriki Dembele, it, the possibility of you holding on to that lead is diminished, even if the game state to that level, to that time of the game, um, hasn't suggested they have much to, to threaten you with purely because you know what they're able to do and you know that they, that they always score and they always score more than one generally. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. I'm not particularly enamoured by this current... Um, although we should say they were very good at home park in midweek as well. I mean, they went to Plymouth and oh, yeah. blitzed 3-0 in a way that we saw Lincoln, their closest challenges, uh, fail to do, which we'll talk about now. Um, so they do deserve credit. And 
winning games at home against poor teams when you're not at your best. No harm in that. <laughs> no harm in that. No, that's fair. Well, look, the team that are second are Lincoln City, of course, and they lost their top spot to Posh a few weeks ago. And, and results like Plymouth Argyle 4, Lincoln 3 aren't necessarily going to help, George. But this was two really good sides in really good form whose stars of play just basically complemented each other to the extent that it was always going to be an entertaining game. And, and I mean, it was an absolute roller coaster. The game of the weekend in the EFL, Argyle 4, Lincoln 3. How did you see it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you kind of summed it up well there. It was a great game. Uh, anyone who's who's looking at Lincoln's recent form with the tool draw against Swindon and the 4-3 loss here, I mean, they were still pretty good here, even if it took two George Grant penalties uh, to get them ahead 3-2. I think we've just got to accept that Lincoln are a side who are going to get a lot of penalties. They get the ball on the floor in the final third. They've got players who are technically better than most fullbacks and centre-backs in, the, in, the, in League One, and therefore they get kicked quite a lot and get fouls and get penalties. Um, it's, you know, it's probably not going to continue the rate it has been, but there's a skill to it at the same time. I think everybody, including myself, expected Lincoln to, to go on and win this game when it was 3-2. So massive credit has to go to Plymouth for um for winning the game for winning it 3-2 a lovely finish from Joe Edwards to get the the fourth goal if if you're Michael Appleton this isn't the first time this season they've had a couple of poor results i think conceding four will frustrate but only 10 shots conceded it was a game where the the early goal from Kel Watts meant it was always going to be incredibly end to end with two sides who certainly have a focus on attacking and with Plymouth absolutely nothing to lose and, and Lincoln desperate for a win here um, and made for a great game but i I don't think we're going to see this mini wobble again of of, uh, of Lincoln's, where they've only won one of their last five games in the league. Uh, I don't think it's going to continue. I've got a feeling we're going to see them back to their... They've got a couple of home games in a row now against the Fleetwood side who are struggling, against the Crew side who, who aren't the same as they were previously in the season. I reckon we'll see at least one win out of those two. I was going to say, if, if we reconvene in four match days' time... I wonder what the gap will be between Peterborough and Lincoln because it's only four points at the moment and mm. that's obviously grown over the last few weeks. But Posh, as we discussed last week, have a desperately tough run in and it starts now basically away to Oxford, away to resurgent Burton Albion and then home to Hull and Portsmouth in the next four. Whereas, as you say, Lincoln with home games against Fleetwood, Crewe, Rochdale uh, and an away game at Ipswich Town wedged in between that so it'd be interesting to see if you know it, it kind of feels like we're saying posh's performances don't get too carried away just yet don't anoint them as promoted or as champions just yet and lincoln couple of defeats but don't be too concerned uh, i wanted to shout out argyle's keeper cooper lincoln's party pooper <laughs> wow thanks for that that was one of the most i was i've been looking forward all day to saying that and after, got... after me calling Matt Slater the super scooper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Matt Slater, athletic super scooper, Argyle's keeper, Cooper, Lincoln's party pooper. There you go. <laughs> uh, what about Wimbledon nil, Hull three? A lot of focus on a bit of a dispute uh, between Malik Wilkes and Josh McGuinness and Louis Coyle. Not the sort of thing we tend to dwell too much on uh, on a Monday podcast. Maybe what we should dwell on is a, a very, very comfortable win for Hull City, which... You know, quite impressive given hasn't been easy for them in recent weeks. And Wimbledon, you know, the, certainly the the vibe around the place was that they might be slightly resurgent under their new manager. But this was fairly comfortable for Hull, fairly routine. 
Yeah, not the thing to do, really, giving away a penalty after 20 minutes when you're at home to one of the best teams in the, in the division and it's an aside who, especially against the weaker teams in the division, don't really give up leads very easily. Um, yeah, it was fairly comfortable for, for Hull. Wimbledon created a few opportunities themselves. It wasn't like they were just turned over here, but, um, you know, two penalties and, and, a, and, a, and a set piece goal. Not a great deal to add to um, to that. I mean, on on the penalty um, saga, can we call it that? I, I can see why McGuinness standing there, having already scored one penalty, he's got his teammate behind him. He's probably thinking to himself, how can I best win out of this? Either I take the penalty and I miss, and then everything kicks off. But how do I lose? If I give it away, I look like a good guy. If he misses, then disaster. And, you know, I can say to him what are you doing there and if he scores then brilliant we're 3-0 up so I could, <laughs> I mean it wasn't particularly good from Wilkes he obviously apologised after the game um, I don't think pushing a captain in the chest when you've just won a penalty um, it's fine great... they're like us they're like us they grew up together in in through the Leeds Academy together yeah, Kyle that's and true. Wilkes so they know each that's other true. very well and, it's you know, a scrap is it yeah when I when I push you in the chest or punch you in the face you forgive me immediately so it's mm. you know you can expect the same for Kyle and Wilkes no doubt and no punching in Covid times obviously <laughs> bit of a quirk in this one is that well it's not a quirk in the game it's a quirk of Hull City George they've scored in 17 away games 37 goals more than two a game away from home in the league this season but they've only scored 15 in 15 home games only one a game at home and I, you can you can look at this and think maybe it's something to do with style of play maybe they prefer it when the opposition come on to them a little bit more i'm sure there's something to that you know a bit more space to play into perhaps getting wilkes one-on-one with with fullbacks a little easier than than when they're up against a, a low block which you'd expect them to encounter a little more often uh, at home but also there's just a case of weird like overperformance underperformance here uh, i looked at y scout and you know 2.18 goals per game away from home from 1.48 expected on average and then at home 1.72 expected goals on average a game and only one goal a game scored so they they create more chances at home but can't finish their dinner and they create less chances away but they're like a group of traveling hitmen they just can't miss. They're like mercenaries <laughs> out there on their travels. So that's something to watch in the next So they can weeks. probably expect a bit of a goal glut at home quite soon and probably expect the goal to drop away from home. That, that's the thing. I was like, ooh, what can, we, what can we glean from this? Can we expect to drop off from Hull maybe? But actually, I think ultimately the numbers are still pretty good. So I wouldn't necessarily expect that. With Charlton nil, Blackpool 3, uh, which was a big result in League One on both sides, George, I want you to decide... What we tackle first, a Blackpool side who now have five wins in six, 36 points in their last 18 games. So this isn't a flash in the pan. This is a solid two points per game record over the course of about three months now. But another win of theirs somewhat overshadowed by just so much consternation from the opposition in Charlton. Which which side of this do you want to tackle? I'll take the Blackpool side, I think. And you can do Charlton because you were so good talking about it on Quest. Um yeah, the only thing that puzzles me with Blackpool is how they're still 13th. And, and I know that they've got games in hand. They've got four games in hand, I think it is, on some of the teams um, above them, having played 27 games. Um, but they've been, to my eyes at least, a, a pretty good side all season. I mean, they've only drawn four of their 27 games. They, they've won 13 and lost 10. So I guess that shows that they have paid the price for too many marginal games going against them rather than and picking up the points, which would get them further up the table. But um, 
you know, they're a side who now look to me, you know, we spoke at the beginning of the season saying in terms of pure personnel, this is a seriously good League One side. You know, they they invested money into the playing squad. Jerry Yates was always looked like a really inspired um, pickup, a player who scores a lot of goals up front, but can also be a, a brilliant foil for for a bigger guy like Gary Medine or, um, or it was Josh Sims he played up front with on, on the weekend. Um, and Neil Critchley is a manager who, you know, I think he's just hit a year in charge of Blackpool for the first four months of those, more than that, six, seven months of those, that there was no football because of the the COVID break. And he's a guy who's obviously learning on the job pretty quickly and comes with, with very good calibre from, from Liverpool himself. So it would make sense that he is improving. But I, you know, I was speaking to um, a friend of mine this morning who's a, an Ipswich fan about you know what Ipswich whether or not Ipswich can now get into the top six and what they can expect and and other stuff and I said you know League One is such a mess that you've got a side like Blackpool who are currently sitting in 13th position but in my head they are in that race I mean they are basically alongside Ipswich Accrington Oxford up outside the playoffs and um and the difficult thing for them is going to be staying fresh because having to catch up on these games isn't going to be easy but if I was a League One team now and I had to pick the two sides who I would hope I'd already played twice so I wouldn't have to face them from now to the end of the season, it would probably be Blackpool and if they get Paul Cook, Ipswich. As for their opponents, Charlton, who they beat 3-0 at the Valley, of course, two of them penalties, one of them questionable, one of them not questionable. What certainly can't be questioned is that this was something of a capitulation from Charlton. Bowyer made a triple substitution at half-time. Uh, within two minutes, they're down to 10 men. Within a further 20 or so, they're down to nine men. Two red cards from important players, Darren Prattley, uh, Chucks and Nike. I think both of them, for, that, for, for both of them, that was their second red card of the season. I think the way I want to look at this is by acknowledging that two things can be true and look like they are true at the moment from where I'm standing. And that is only my opinion. One of them is that it is insane the extent of the individual errors, either footballing or disciplinary in terms of the red cards that Charlton are experiencing at the moment. It does not reflect very well on a lot of the players that are pulling on the shirt of Charlton. The fact that mm. they have conceded, uh, how, what's that stat about home games? Nine home games in a row, they've conceded two goals or more. That is not going to get you where you want to be. They haven't won any of those games and it, it hasn't got any better. That's an extended period of time now. And what can also be true is that it's the manager's job as best he can to, uh, well, manage his group of players, to choose the ones that are going to put in the performances that he wants, to choose the ones that, uh, that he trusts to put in the performances that he wants, but also to manage the squad and the players in a way that allows them to step onto the pitch in the best version of themselves. That's ultimately what you want your manager to be doing. Now, whether it's tactical, whether it's to do with how emotional he seems to be constantly in media press conferences, which is, which is you know, for us, that's what we can see externally, is that... Lee Bowyer, when things aren't, when things haven't gone well, when his players have made a mistake, his his leadership style is a very emotional one, and it's not hard to see how that in a in a bad situation could create more uncertainty rather than less uncertainty. We've also seen some very good times under Lee Bowyer two years ago, for example, where they almost had the polar opposite of this run, where a team 
under the emotional leadership of Lee Bowyer, who is so tied to the area, tied to the club, went on a run where they looked completely unstoppable, where tactically everything was working to a T, where the players were carrying out his instructions without making any mistakes, and they were practically unbeaten for the second half of the season, or certainly the last few months. So it's hard for me to know what the answer is here. It's a it's a very different squad of players, and he's not shy on basically appearing to blame the players. But unfortunately, he's part of the recruitment team at Charlton. He's a big part of who Charlton signed. And whether or not the last two windows, with the chaos off the field in the summer window, and then you know the salary cap in January, and um, whether whether or not it was the best conditions for a sort of measured successful recruitment plan this season, it hasn't worked if he can't get the players to do what he wants them to do. So I'm finding it really interesting at the moment. You know, we interviewed Thomas Sangard on Totally Football League Show Extra Time two weeks ago, and he didn't really mention Lee Bowyer uh, specifically. I didn't specifically ask him about it either because that wasn't really the whole idea of that interview. But he didn't really mention Bowyer. He did mention that they still have very high ambitions, though. And I must say, Bowyer's post-match interview was kind of putting the ball in Thomas Sangard's court uh, to an extent. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. I know that uh, fan feeling has turned pretty significantly, um, which is not unusual, to be fair. They've been on a horrendous run of form and it looks like their season ambitions of, of returning to the Championship are, well, hanging by a thread with 15 games to go. They're in 12th place at the moment, five points off the playoffs, but having played more games than most teams around them. George, down the bottom of League One, I mean, if it was tense a few weeks ago, it's only got more tense. That group of seven teams uh, at the very bottom of League One, I think they were separated by seven or eight points. They're now separated by five points. Burton off the bottom, they're in 21st because they beat Northampton 2-0. Four wins in five for Jimmy Floyd's and Dino Mamria's Burton. Uh, it's hard to know what else to say at this point. We seem to be talking about them every week. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing what better players can do, isn't it? Um, you know, the decision that that uh, Ben Robinson, the owner of Burton, made by replacing um, the outgoing manager and bringing in a former manager in Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank has been just looks like a, a bit of a masterstroke now. Um, funnily, I mean, the the red card incident here was quite a big one. I mean, Rochdale didn't really create much in the game, and, and Burton. Definitely good value for the win anyway, and I'm by no means saying that Rathbone staying on the pitch would have changed anything. But it was just quite a funny incident in my mind because Rathbone did put his head into Johnny Smith, and you could kind of see Johnny Smith's thought processes as he realised that Rathbone had tried to headbutt him, and he was like, "Ah, oh, like I obviously need to do something about this if he's going to get sent off." So he then kind of like fake went down and like put a hand to his face, almost quite embarrassed to be doing it. Um, but it got the rewards needed and Smith was actually booked. Maybe Smith was booked for simulation for that reason, but he was booked in, in the melee as well. But um, that was what kind of caught my eye here. But as you say, it's just more of the same from Burton now. It's incredible to think they'd only won two of 28 games before Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank came in and they've won five of seven now. Um, and they just look like a completely different football team. And yeah, the decision that, that was made is looks likely now probably to see them can we now say that they're probably going to stay up? I mean, they're still in the relegation zone, but it just feels like they are a side who are operating just so far above their level. And they they've taken three points there against the Rochdale side, who they're now level on points with, with two games in hand. So um, take a brave man, I reckon, now to say that they're going to go down. Yeah, just, just operating on such a higher level to 
the other six teams in that group. Um, two of them played against each other. Swindon against Northampton. Northampton on a desperate run of form now. And that form is not picking up under the interim manager. So I dare say we might see a, a Northampton appointment at some point. Surely they're going to try something in order to, to stay up. It won't take too many wins or points to be one of the three teams out of this seven that manages to stay up. But um, yeah, 1-0 up against Swindon. Things are looking quite good. But I think, you know, if there's one thing I'll take away from talking to Jed earlier, it, it's like... We shouldn't overanalyze individual games and certainly teams down at the bottom who aren't performing well. It's a, it's a tough watch at the moment and the, the the quality is not on show. The ability to play, you know, impressive systems or uh, to to play out impressive tactical game plans is difficult unless you unless you've got one already established like some teams do and that's what we're seeing in these games down at the bottom. Swindon massive massive win against Northampton. You can't tell me that Swindon played particularly well. A Scott Twine free kick got them level and a, a Hitman-Pitman goal after a, a bizarre piece of goalkeeping from Mitchell got them the win. And that's all that really matters is is getting the three points. Mm. I, I still think, like, I don't want to go too early on the whole, like, results matter more than performances. Because at the start of the season, we wouldn't say that necessarily. And there's still enough games to go where it's like, you know, I still would like to see teams actually raising their performance levels. But from a Swindon perspective, it's been such a good week or so, hasn't it, where... Um, they beat Crew, they drew with Lincoln, and then they beat Northampton. So they're the ones who have risen out of it. There's just, I just, I, I'm just not going to say like, yeah, that's them sorted because it just doesn't feel like that. But a hugely important win. And, and Joey Barton, George Bristol Rovers, um, they are very much down there as well. And they had a terrible, terrible midweek result. Followed it up with their first win of the season. Really impressive performance against Shrews. Really impressive performance. Um, and I can lean on somebody brighter than myself and Greg um, from Market Insights, who's on Twitter at ScoutXD1. And he DM'd me saying, did you watch Joey Barton's Bristol Rovers? And I was like, not not yet. I've just seen the highlights. That's all. He was like, I watched it and I was pretty impressed. So I, I asked him for a bit more um, as to what he thought. And he said Bristol Rovers looked exciting against Shrewsbury, moving the ball well and creating triangles in the opposition half to work the Shrewsbury defence and score the first. They also pressed intelligently with Zane Westbrook winning this ball high up the pitch to create the second. I mean, I forgot Zane Westbrook was even there. I mean, a, a player who was pretty important to commentary last season, a commentary side who got promotion to the championship and who they didn't really want to lose. Um, so cheers for Greg to Greg for the insight and maybe worth watching out for a Bristol Oversight who look to have improved immediately under the, their new manager. And let's not forget as well that Shrewsbury, a pretty tough opposition to face at the moment, um, didn't have a shot until the 75th minute and, and Rovers were, were good value for their win. Amazing, really. Uh, bad news out of Shrews today. Sadly, Steve Cottrell has been readmitted to hospital suffering from COVID pneumonia. Um, now, I don't know the details of what that entails but um, clearly this is someone who we need to continue to hold in our thoughts who's, who's going through a lot at the moment as, uh, as so many people are and, and Shrewsbury have been on such good form uh, until the weekend hopefully can be um, continued to be inspired by Steve Cottrell and his fight and the way that he has been managing this team in such a remarkable uh, set of circumstances in League 2 uh, George uh, Cambridge keep on rolling don't they Cambridge keep on rolling. What a goal. Now, I've been getting some stick over the last few months for just not really buying into Cambridge. And I'm Who's been giving you stick? Just Send them my way. Just uh, just bits and bobs of stick. Just a couple of twigs. Bits and bobs of stick. <laughs> just a few small <laughs> twigs. Um, and someone someone tweeted me on Saturday, can you apologise live on Quest, he said, 
for uh, for saying that Cambridge would be the big fallers in League Two uh, in your mid-season reprediction podcast. Could still happen. I said, look, if in 14 games' time Cambridge's automatic promotion is confirmed, then I will eat my words. Certainly, probably not on Quest because that would just be weird, but maybe on this show um, where we've got a bit more time to dissect things. But uh, regardless. I'm just going to say what local journo Matt Ramsey said about this one, which is that I'm classing this as a smash and grab. For 85 minutes, it looked set for a really drab nil-nil, and Cambridge probably would have been happier with that than Port Vale. So credit to the resilience and credit for an amazing, amazing strike from Liam O'Neill. But again, I, I still don't think this Cambridge side are playing particularly well. I don't think they are dominating games to the extent that you might expect a team top of the table. But maybe this season that doesn't matter. Maybe every game is so on the margins because of the fatigue and the pitches that uh, maybe it's just that extra sparkle from Wes Houlihan and that extra sparkle from Paul Mullen that's going to get them over the line. One team that are really struggling, George, is Carlisle, who partly not through fault of their own after that big gap they had to have when they were really rolling. But it's not that long ago we were talking about Carlisle as the best team in League Two, and I think we felt confident that based on the first half of the season that that probably was the case i think their their highest performance level was about as good as it gets in in this division but they're big issues now just one point from their last five games and against oldham on the weekend started well got ahead lost 3-1 at home uh something's changed there uh, at the moment and not for the better yeah defensively they they are just not as good as they were um they were one of those classic sides who won Lots of plaudits for their attacking style of play, and rightly so, but it was actually the defensive work which was key to the, the reason why they were doing so well. And now, still going forward, they look like a force, but they are conceding goals consistently. It doesn't ha- doesn't help that Dylan Bahambula seems to be able to basically score whenever he gets the ball in the final third from wherever he wants. Uh, another beautiful goal from him. Uh, and also, you have to say, I mean... <clears throat> I'm fairly sure. I'm not going to say that Carlisle would have just carried on going the way they were if they'd, if they'd continued, but the break and, and the lack of game time has had a big impact on their season. It's not easy to have to go through what they went through. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to cut them a little bit of slack for that reason, but certainly, you know, we had them as being, if you're looking at the odds, um, Cambridge and Carlisle are still seen as having an equal chance of finishing top of the table. So, I think any obituaries around Carlisle... Is that um, right? That's yeah. pretty crazy, isn't it? That Carlisle, 12 points behind Cambridge, but with five games in hand over them. Mm. League Two is ridiculous. Exactly. How do you so even begin? The ticker, the ticker tape parade for Cambridge is still premature, and the, the obituaries for Carlisle, exactly the same. They're t- still two sides with a decent chance of going up, but by no means the, the most likely. Agreed. Okay, well, two new players, potentially when we're talking about League Two promotion, are Bolton and Bradford City, who are absolutely flying at the moment. Bolton have won five in a row. Bradford have won four in a row, five of six. You can keep going back and the run just gets better and better. I basically wanted to put the ball in in your court, George, and ask you how legit you think Bolton and Bradford are. Because clearly they're in exceptional form and that would lend us to very positive reviews of them. But there's, there's lots of time still to go. Um, Bolton in seventh, um, but on PPG, there's a couple of those teams below them with, with games in hand over them. So they're probably not seventh on merit, if you will, but not far off now. And Bradford, who have flown up from 22nd in mid-December now to 11th, they've actually got a couple of games in hand. Um, I want to know from you what you think about Bolton and Bradford vis-a-vis the, the, the rest of the season where you see them finishing. 
Yeah, I think I'm anticipating a, a drop off from both. Um, data wise, and I'm sorry to be the Scrooge here, but data wise, Bradford are, are running very hot and have been basically throughout the short reign of Mark Truman and Connor Sellers. Um, you know, they've, they've obviously improved things. I'm, I'm by no means sitting here saying they haven't. But again, the Warsaw game was a low margin game. They had 10 shots to Warsaw, seven. They were solid defensively, but they were very, very clinical in front of goal. And I can't help but feel like eventually they're going to be undone for that reason. Um, I just can't see them continuing to score at the rate that they are. But, you know, they've, they've taken themselves away from the relegation zone and, and have given themselves a shot. I just don't think they're going to get there necessarily. Or, or if they do get there, their improvements will have to, con- to continue to improve. I wasn't necessarily sold on, on Bolton either, but I do think the, the the game on the weekend was much better. You know, this is a Barrow side who generally, even though they are have a lowly position in the table, have given most teams something to think about. Um, they only had two shots in the game, although the best chance of the game did go to Barrow, uh, which was missed early on. Um, a shot from, I, I think it was Taylor, um, that was saved when he probably should have done better. Um, Bolton controlled the game throughout. They had 72.9% possession. I think this was more the, the kind of Bolton that we were anticipating seeing under Ian Everett. Um, but they didn't create a great deal. I mean, Ian Everett's come out in the press today, as he often seems to do, and has absolutely laid into the commentators on the Bolton I follow, saying he can't understand why they're being so negative and to, to never watch their games again. He, I think he needs to take a a bit of a step back sometimes, you know, and and not get so heated. It's It still took them 93 minutes to, to break down a, a low block from Barrow, which they're perfectly entitled to, to adopt. And he even quotes the 630 passes as being a reason why they shouldn't be criticised, which is not a particularly clever way to analyse a football game. Um, but it was better. I mean, they controlled the game and crucially, they controlled possession whilst preventing Barrow from creating too much. Although, as I said, um, they had one very good chance indeed. I don't think either Bolton or Bradford will, will finish in the top six, top seven, I should say, mm. personally. That's interesting. That's interesting. Do you think that Tranmere will? They beat yes. Leighton Orient 3-1 on the weekend. Yeah, I definitely do. I think they're, they're the team who's, whose good run um, maybe at the beginning didn't look too sustainable, but as the games keep coming, they seem to be improving. And you know, there's a tangible reason for that. The arrival of Keith Hill seemed to basically immediately trigger an improvement in performances. You've got Kane Willery operating at a much higher level, which gives them you know, a two-pronged attack now with James Vaughan not being the man you need to stop. They have other ways to hurt you. Um, and they you know, they came up against an Orient side who were obviously struggling, but this is a, a team who've learned to win, who have absolutely bags of experience in their side now. And um, yeah, if, if there's one of these teams who are in the midst of, of big winning runs, who I expect to, to stick it out, it would definitely be, be Tranmere. Uh, they beat Leighton Orient on the weekend and, and following that game, Orient parted company with Ross Embleton. Embleton, of course, became the, the head coach, first interim and then head coach after the death of Justin Edinburgh following their promotion to League Two from the National League. And then midway through last season, Orient hired um, your man Carl Fletcher for all of a few weeks. And when he left, Ross Embleton stepped back into the breach again. To me, it, it never felt like he had the sort of authority that you would probably want or potentially even need uh, as a manager of Leighton Orient. That's not to say that he didn't have plenty of time as manager because, look, he's had ultimately around 18 months and we've never been particularly convinced that they are a, a playoff chaser or even maybe a top half team. Now, 
The extent to which you think that is a failing of the manager based on the squad and based on your expectations of Orient, I guess, depends. Um, I, I don't have, I didn't have hugely high expectations for them this season. I guess they would have been raised when, as the turn of the year came about, they were very much sniffing around those playoff places. But seven without a win um, since then, four defeats, three draws, has spelled the out, the end for Embleton. And yeah, I just feel a little bit bad for him because. Yeah, looking at his tenure, especially, you know, them basically trying to get someone else in in Carl Fletcher before going crawling back to Ross Embleton when that didn't work out. It strikes me that he maybe hasn't had, well, maybe the board didn't have the belief in him from the start that uh, that, that you might want as a manager. But he's, um, for the meantime, George, been replaced by Joby McEnough, a man that we've worked with quite a lot on Sky on a Friday night, who we've got a lot of time for. And uh, it's an interesting move that for him, for the club. Um, an opportunity for him to show off some managerial chops uh, towards the end of a, a very, very impressive, mostly EFL-based career. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how he gets on. He's somebody, you know, we've been very lucky to, well, not this season, sadly, because we have to be shoveled away in the green room. But before COVID, we were very lucky to share the sofa with the guests and kind of watch games with them and discuss our our views on players and, and what was going on in front of us. And Joby always um, was someone who seemed very intelligent and, and got the game. He uh, wasn't a massive fan of, of whenever one of us brought up XG, it's fair to say, um, <laughs> which is exciting. I even saw a tweet kind of charting Leighton Orient's XG um, kind of chart over the course of the season. And if I had Joby's number, I probably would have copied and pasted it being like, hi, mate, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, he's, he's certainly somebody who's, got a wealth of experience and, and even kind of with the work that he has done playing for uh, Jamaica and kind of the the role he took there in terms of, of kind of bringing through young players and getting young players to go and play for, for Jamaica and stuff. He's, he's just a guy who seems built for the role of being, you know, a footballing mentor and therefore a manager. Um, but of course, I mean, he was part of this, of the, of the coaching staff during this run as well. So um, interesting to see how his influence can, can change what's been going on. I mean, the chairman released a video last night on the Orient feed. I mean, talks about Joby in complete awe, which, you know, harking back to what I've just said about my perception that maybe Embleton was never truly fancied, uh, it certainly doesn't seem the case in this instance. It's also not a permanent appointment, um, so we shouldn't, you know, go too far on it, but it's, it's one of those classic ones that you get towards the end of a season where he's got a free hit of sorts to to show what he might be like as an as a manager um, without a huge amount of pressure or expectation on him. Uh, and I think that can be quite a good thing for a young manager to have. It'd be interesting to see how they set up, how they go about things. The last thing I would say about Embleton is when they were towards the playoffs, we didn't think they were there necessarily on merit or particularly because of him being an excellent manager. I should say that. I don't mean to be rude, but their numbers were never particularly good they rarely, if ever, dominated proceedings at this level. And they had a striker in Danny Johnson who, for three months, scored with every third shot that <laughs> he took. And that doesn't happen for a whole season at this level, sadly. Partly because, as sometimes happens, players get injured. And when Danny Johnson got injured, those games that they were winning 2-1 or 1-0, or those games where they didn't play well but they were getting a one all draw they turned into defeats, they turned into draws. And I think from from our perspective, not a surprise to see them roll down the table. But the board clearly felt like they had to act. And we had a few narrow wins as well in League Two, um, ones where it's difficult to find huge depth of analysis, George. But the stag party 
back up and running to an extent. They lost, well, no, they won five in a row, didn't they? And then they didn't win for five games, which was peculiar. Um, but a Jordan Barry goal, lovely Stephen Quinn assist, uh, saw them beat Morecambe, obviously a, a team in the playoffs. So a significant result for Mansfield. George Maris was absolutely magnificent in midfield. Uh, I saw a tweet from uh, MTFC Musings, who we follow, really good Mansfield account for, for match analysis and thoughts on players and recruitment. Uh, I think he made the point that Maris is like, he's about 5'8". I think he won 15 aerial duels, George. <laughs> Pretty impressive, considering Morecambe have, have got... You, have you ever won 15 aerial duels in your games? No, I'm 15 aerial duels in my in my 28 and a half years. Um, <laughs> that's that's pretty much my limit. But considering that, that uh, it's a Morecambe midfield with Songo and Diagaraga in it, for him to um for him to come out on top, uh, very very impressive. Harrogate beat Grimsby one nil. Mark Beck with the winner, seventy seventh minute. Uh, Thompson in midfield for Harrogate. It, it often feels to me like when I watch back Harrogate games where they've done well, where they've won, you've got uh, George Thompson in midfield generally at the four, uh, and then Crawley beat Exeter. George, what did you think about uh, the Tom Parks red card for Exeter? Because I thought I thought it was not a red card. Right. Because to all intents and purposes, that was the game's turning point. It's not that Exeter were battering Crawley by any stretch of the imagination, but going down to 10, Crawley then turned the screw. So that's pretty significant then. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was quite a heavy challenge, but it wasn't, you know, he was basically doing it on the turn. There was no excessive force. It didn't, didn't look particularly high. I was kind of a bit surprised that the voiceover man over the highlights was so damning of, of, of the tackle. What did you think? I thought it was an orange, a classic case of an orange, George, which uh, isn't very helpful when you get asked about it live on, on telly. Um, no, I thought it was clumsy, uh, but mm. I, I agree that I don't think there was excessive force. I think the issue is Parks is such a big bloke, um, a sort of archetypal League Two centre-back. And so when you do go into a challenge lunging to a certain extent, uh, clumsily and you don't get the ball then maybe it looks a bit worse than if you or I had done it and we probably would bounce off the player and not cause much damage um, yeah. but regardless Crawley reacted really really well I always think it's one of those funny ones where when a team wins against 10 men I sort of I don't rate that win as much as I would if it was against 11 obviously and yet George there's that there's that cliche that sometimes it's harder to play against 10 very good point and so yes I had that forefront of my mind when they went down to 10 extra, 40 minutes still to play. And instead of it getting harder for Crawley, it got demonstrably easier and they ran I out would, comfortable winners. What I would say to that is that it, it isn't easier. It isn't, it, sorry, it isn't harder to play against 10. That, that is something that managers and players and fans will say after they've watched their team struggle to break down 10 men. Your team is, I'm afraid to say, at a significant advantage if you're playing against 10. Well, George, that brings us to the end of uh, today's roller coaster pod. Uh, as soon as we knew we, we'd be able to get Jed on, uh, it was a no-brainer. So, what, what, how, how do you look back at our chat with Jed? I just love how much he knows and loves about Jed the Lee. about championship football. Yeah, Jed. I mean, Jed Lee's a great guy, um, and you can tell that he loves. You can tell he just loves the game, which I love. Um, happy to talk about Millwall. Happy to talk about who they played against, or just happy to talk about anyone. He feels like um, you know. A, I think the reason why some media corporations like using you and I, Ali, is that you can kind of chuck us a question about anyone in the EFL and we can answer it. I kind of feel like Jed could probably do that too. Yeah, it's not great news for our future media prospects, to be honest. If there's going to be <laughs> if there's going to be more players like that who 
get 10 goals and 10 assists a season and can field any question on any player and any club across the EFL. But no, I hope you guys enjoyed that as well. I know that it meant that our championship segment was uh, a little unusual. We kind of flitted here and there and there might have been a little less match analysis than usual. So um, hopefully that didn't detract from the podcast at all. I think it uh, made it even better. But if you want to know our thoughts on various championship games, for example, I'm very aware we did not talk about Luton's magnificent turnaround. Please do get in touch with us at NTT20 pod on Twitter and we will wax lyrical about Elijah Adebayo and how very smart your recruitments uh, your recruitment department is with a certain Jay Sosick from Blades Analytic at the heart of it um, but jokes aside hope you've enjoyed this podcast uh, we'll be back again with the usual stuff second half of the week but also please get involved with our week of giveaways all you have to do is retweet a tweet and follow us on Twitter in order to enter. And I really think the prizes being offered up by EA Sports and the EFL as well are brilliant. Um, you can watch all of your club's remaining Skybet EFL fixtures, whether they use iFollow or another streaming service. If you are one of our six winners this week, that's what you'll win. And there will be six other winners who will win a copy of FIFA 21 or a game code provided by EA Sports. So thank you to them for getting involved with the podcast this week and helping us to reward some of you guys um, by giving away some cool prizes. We really appreciate their support and uh, it's been fun to partner with EA Sports. Um, but that's the end of this week's NTT20 podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and we'll talk again soon.